Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, Today we're going to continue with our series entitled Rediscover Jesus. This is uh, sermon number 11 of 12. We'll finish this thing out next week. Um, And we just uh, want you to rediscover who Jesus is. Uh, We talked about this at the beginning of the series itself, uh, but 2020 and into 2021 has kind of been a very rough year, a very rough time, and it's caused a lot of us to take our focus off of Jesus. And we want you to rediscover um, what an amazing uh, man and God that Jesus was and is. And so uh, we're, we're going to continue that series today. T- today's message is entitled, Jesus, the Servant Leader. And so before we begin, what I would like to ask you to do is to think about your life for just a second. And, and I want you to answer this question to yourself. Are you a leader or are you a boss? Are you a leader or are you a, a boss? So at your job, uh, do you just boss people around or, or do you lead them? Uh, in the church that you worship and serve, do you, are you a servant leader or do you just like to boss people around? In your home, is your word final? It's my way or the highway. You'll do what I say when I say it. If you don't like it, too bad. Or are you a boss or are you a leader? Because there's a difference between the two. Uh, H. Gordon Selfridge talks about the difference between being a boss and being a leader. And here's what he said. He said that the boss drives his men. The leader coaches them. The boss depends upon authority. The leader depends upon goodwill. The boss inspires fear. The leader inspires enthusiasm. The boss says I. The leader says we. The boss fixes the blame for the breakdown. The leader fixes the breakdown. The boss knows how it's done, but the leader shows how it's done. I love that last one. The leader shows how it's done. Uh, In the text that we'll be reading this morning, John chapter 13, Jesus is going to show his disciples and us how it's done. He's going to show us how we should lead by example. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 13. If you don't, um, you can go to the YouVersion app and click events. Elevate Christian Church, and these scriptures are there, uh, or they'll come up on the screen. John chapter 13, we're going to pick up in verse 1, and the way we're going to do it today is we're going to read a little bit, talk, read a little bit, talk. All right, here we go. Now, before the feast of the Passover, this is Passion Week, this is the last week of Jesus' life. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and I love this part, 
and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel and tied it around his waist. Okay. I want to just real briefly draw your attention to verse 3 where Jesus, where it says he had come from God and he was going back to God. Um, I love the imagery that John paints here because Jesus knew he was about to go home. This earth wasn't his home. He, he was born here. He lived for 33 years, but he knew he was going to go home. And you have to think, He had some mixed emotions going on, right? Because this was the week of his life that he was going to suffer. His flesh would be torn. He would bleed and he would ultimately die. He knew he had to go through all of that, but he also knew once he he got through that, that he was going to go home to be with his father. So it had to be a mix of anxiousness and excitement, Many, many years ago, when I was the student minister here at Elevate, um, I took a group of uh, teens uh, from our church and and some some other churches around the country uh, to Ecuador. And we did a three-week mission trip uh, in the country of Ecuador. And for for the very first time in my life, as soon as we landed in Ecuador, I was homesick like right away. Um, I had left my wife, Lindy, and our only child, Reagan, behind. Uh, she was pregnant with our second child, uh, Jay. But all I could do was think about her and think about uh, the day, three weeks later, when I would be reunited with my family. And so it, it was bittersweet for me. So during the day, I, I would pour myself into, into people. We, we worked with a lot of uh, orphans and children over there and, and, and small communities. And I would just love on them and pour myself uh, into them. But at night, when it got quiet, I could barely sleep because all I could think about was 20 more days, 19 more days, 18 more days. It was like a countdown because I just couldn't wait to get home to Lindy, my wife. So the three weeks ended, and I'll I'll never forget, the last night we were there, uh, we slept on some man's rooftop. Uh, They have flat roofs over there, and and we slept under the stars on the rooftop, and I I could barely sleep because I thought, tomorrow I'm going to get on a plane, and we're flying back to America, and I'm one step closer to my wife. So we got on that plane and we flew to Miami. And once we got to Miami, we had a two-day debriefing session. And so even though I was on American soil, I wasn't home. And, and my homesickness got even worse. I just, those were the longest two days of my life. Finally, that ended. And I had to load a bunch of teenagers in a car and drive. I forget how many. It's a long drive from Miami to Atlanta. So I was just driving, and all I could think about was I'm going to be home today. I'm going to be home today. Uh, but, but before the, the clock strikes midnight, I will be in my own bed uh, with my family. So we got to Atlanta, and I had to systematically drop all these kids off and help them unpack all their luggage and, uh, and then go to the rental car place. And then finally... I made it home, and it was just a, a very glorious homecoming for me. You see, I, I knew the whole way through this trip, I had a, a lot of obstacles. I had a lot of things to endure, but when it ended, I was going home. I think this is the feeling of Jesus right here. This is at the Last Supper. 
Okay, this is before Jesus is arrested and crucified. And so he knows he's got to go through this road, but he knows at the end of the road, he's going home. Before he goes home, though, he has one last lesson he's going to teach his disciples. A lesson on servant leadership. Look at verse 5. Then he, Jesus, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So don't miss this. With a basin of water and a towel, Jesus is about to teach a lesson on what it looks like to be a true leader in the kingdom of God. And he's going to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, this is one of those passages that really gets lost in translation, right? Because we, we're not a foot-washing church. Uh, you don't have to panic. I'm not at the end of the service going to ask you to take your shoes off and find a partner and wash each other's feet. Uh, because it just doesn't translate well for us. Because we wear shoes and we wear socks and we have sidewalks and manicured lawns and, and roads. And so our feet don't get grimy, dirty, nasty, and, and disgusting, right? Um, in this time, though, they wore sandals. And all the roads were made of dirt and mud. And when you got to the cities, you were tromping through that dirt and mud and a lot of different types of animal manure. All right, and so when you went into a house your feet were filthy, all right? And so it was a custom, especially before a big communal meal, to wash a person's feet, to get that grime and manure and dirt off of their feet. And, and, and to make matters, or to accentuate it, uh, the tables that they sat on back then were very low. They didn't have chairs. They sat on pillows and they kind of reclined back. And so your feet at a communal dinner were literally in another person's face. And so it was very, very important uh, to, to clean those feet. Now, in, in a house of servants, that was the last job a servant wanted to do. Like that, they sometimes would draw straws, literally, and the low man had to wash the feet. Or if there was a new servant, that was their job because nobody wanted to do this. Uh, it, it was a very humbling, disgusting thing to do. But Jesus takes on the nature of a lowly servant and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus was leading by example, look at verse 6. We have controversy that ensues, which is always the case when Peter's involved. Uh, verse 6, so he, he's washing feet. He comes up to Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I don't know if you've ever washed another person's feet before, but if you have, you realize pretty quickly how humbling it can be to kind of get down on your knees and to take a person's feet and to pour water on it and to wash it. It's a very humbling experience. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anyone wash your feet before, but when that happens, 
you begin to realize just how inadequate you feel. Like it's, it's also very humbling to have someone wash your feet. When I was in high school, uh, I, I liked this girl and I wasn't going to church at the time, but she, she was going to church. And so uh, I, I, her parents wanted her to date a guy that went to church. So I decided I would go to church with her. I'd go to youth group with her. And when I went to youth group, we got there and it was in a gym and we were, we were playing basketball. I, I lived for basketball back then. And so we, we were playing for like 30 minutes. I was all sweaty. And then it was time for youth group. And the youth minister taught on this passage of scripture. And I thought to myself, oh no, I know where he's going with this. You know, I just got done playing basketball and I'm dripping wet with sweat. My feet are on fire. They are just full of sweat. Please don't say we're going to do a foot washing ceremony. And he said, all right, today we're going to do a foot washing ceremony. So I need you to get a partner. And obviously I was with her, so she was my partner. And he said, so I need someone to sit in the chair. And I said, well, why don't you have a seat? Because I knew what that meant. All right. And then he proceeded to tell us to, to take the shoes and the socks off and, and to wash uh, your partner's feet. So I did that, no problem. It was a little humbling, but it didn't bother me. And then my worst nightmare came true. He said, now switch places. All right, and so I pulled, she had to pull my basketball shoes off. And I mean, my socks were just soaking wet, drenched with sweat. It was embarrassing to me. I, I just felt so inadequate, and, and she washed my, my feet, and uh, it, it was extremely uncomfortable for me. In the text that we just read, I think that's what Peter's struggling with. It's not a, I don't think it's a pride thing. I think he feels so inadequate. I think he's saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you, you'll never wash my feet. Not you, Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You shouldn't be washing my feet. You should sit down in this chair and let me get down on my knees and let me wash your feet. But Jesus tells Peter, hey, I, I have to wash you or you'll have no part in me. Well, then Simon Peter gets very sarcastic, which makes me love him even more. Verse 9. Simon Peter, now he's talking to the Son of God here, says to Jesus, Lord, not only my feet, why don't you wash my hands and my head? And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you were clean. But not every one of you, for he, Jesus, knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. So I don't know if you caught that in the first part of that text that I just read you, but Peter's using sarcasm here. Peter's saying, okay, in order for me to take part in your kingdom, Jesus, you're telling me that you have to wash my feet? Well, I really want to take part in your kingdom, so don't stop at my feet. Wash my hand. Wash my head. Hey, let, just give me a full bath. Scrub-a-dub-dub. Let's go to the tub. I'm ready for you to just wash me completely if that's what it takes. He's being very terse and sarcastic with Jesus here. But Jesus snaps back at verse, in verse 10. He says something strange. He says, the one who has bathed, and I hope all of you bathed before you came here this morning, does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. So what Jesus is doing is, he, is he's explaining to Peter the true meaning of being, having our sins washed away. 
Peter had experienced the cleansing of salvation and didn't need to be washed again over and over again in a spiritual sense. You don't have to be rebaptized. You don't have to get saved every time you sin. So what he's essentially saying in that text is this, is that salvation is a, don't miss this, one time act of justification by faith. We're saved once. But in that salvation, there's this lifelong process called sanctification. That's just a big, fancy theological word that means that we are to get closer and closer and holier and holier uh, with Jesus as time goes on. So Peter and his disciples, they were already saved, but they needed this temporal cleaning to have their feet washed. So think about us for a minute. When we come to Christ, for the washing of our sins, we can be sure that it is permanent and it's complete. There's no other act that can get us any cleaner from our sins than the blood of Jesus being applied to our lives. However, we need continual cleansing from the effects of living in the flesh in a sinful world. That process is called sanctification. That's the Holy Spirit living through us, washing us with the Word of God. That's what he's saying in verse 10. Now he's going to kind of explain himself, verse 12. <clears throat> Give me one second. The pollen, the, the pollen count is really high. <clears throat> verse 12. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I've just done to you? So he's saying, listen, this just wasn't for me to wash your dirty, nasty feet. There's a point behind this. Verse 13, he explains, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So Jesus is saying this, Hey, if you want to be a good leader, the first thing that you have to understand is that you have to be a good follower. In order to be a good leader, you've got to be a good follower. And who do we follow? We follow Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to be a good leader, you follow the example that I just gave you. I humbled myself. I took on the nature of a servant. You, and I washed your feet. You follow that example and wash each other's feet. Now, he's talking about foot washing, but he's talking about so much more. He's saying, listen, always keep other people first. Look out for the interest of others before yourself. Serve those around you. Follow me, then you can lead. You have to be a good follower before you can be a good leader. I once read of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application that asked this, are you a leader? And being very honest, she wrote her answer, no, and returned her application to the college expecting to never hear from them again. Well, about four weeks later, to her surprise, she re received a letter from the college that read this, dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. 
You see, to, to be good leaders, we have to learn to follow, to follow the example of Jesus. And we won't be good leaders, we'll be great leaders. Look at verse 15. Jesus says as much, for I have given you an example. What do we do with examples? We follow them. That you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In verse 16, Jesus uses that word servant. I would draw your attention to that. Um, geek out on you for just a minute. In the Greek language, that word is the word doulos. And that word literally means a slave. Okay, and so what Jesus is saying is, I have made myself a slave to you, to me and to you, to save us from our sins. He became a slave to free us. That is his nature. It's the nature of a servant. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, uh, you've got these, these 12 men, the 12 apostles, um, who know, because Jesus keeps hinting to the fact that he's about to leave, that he's going to be, they don't really understand yet he's going to be crucified and all that, but they, they know he's leaving. And so what they begin to do in, in chapter 10 of Mark is they begin to argue with one another. And the argument gets fierce. It gets so fierce that one guy goes and gets his mother. All right. And the argument is, who's the greatest, Jesus? Which of us 12 is the greatest? Which of us 12 get to sit beside you at the dinner table? Uh, who, who, come on, Jesus, tell us, who's the greatest one of all? And I want you to uh, notice the response of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, let's pick up in verse 42. Jesus called them to him. These are the 12 arguing about who's the greatest. And here's what he says. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, in this world, that's how people like to lead, like bosses with fear and intimidation. He, they lord it over. Anybody had a boss like that? It's just fear and intimidation. They're going to tell you what to do, when to do it, and you better not backtalk. Okay, Jesus is saying, this is how the world leads. But I love verse 43 because he turns it on a dime here. He says, but it shall not be so among you. You want to sit here and argue about who's the greatest, who's going to get to sit beside me in heaven, and who's going to accomplish the most? You're missing the point. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That word slave is the same word in John, doulos. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the example that Jesus sets is that we are to put our wishes, our wants, our desires on hold. And we take up a basin of water and a towel, and we fall to our knees, and we posture ourselves humbly to serve those around us. We look for people to serve because servants need that. You're not a servant if you don't have anyone to serve. 
And so Jesus is saying, hey, look for those opportunities. If I had a life verse, it would be 1 Corinthians 9.19. 1 Corinthians 9.19 is the verse that propelled me to go into Bible college and to enter into the ministry. 1 Corinthians 9.19 is a verse that got me through college. And to be quite honest with you, I deal with people every day, all day, and they can be very difficult. 1 Corinthians 9.19 is a verse that has served me well in my ministry here because it reminds me why I do what I do. It's the Apostle Paul, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 9.19, Though I am free, I've been freed by the blood of Christ. I don't have to answer to anyone but God. I am a free man. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul says, listen, I don't belong to anyone, but I willingly make myself a slave. You know what that word for slave is? Doulos. It's the same word Jesus used in the text. Paul willingly took on the nature of a servant. Jesus willingly took on the nature of a servant. As your preacher, I willingly take on the nature of your servant. As leaders of this church, our deacons, our elders, and the rest of our staff, we ask them, we expect them, we almost require them to take on this nature, to put other people first, to love on them, and to serve them. As a Christian... As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the nature that you were called to as well. And so a question that I would like to resonate in your heart this week is this. Will I take on that nature? Will I be a doulos? I'm free. I live in a free country. But will I make myself a slave, a servant to all those around me? And let's be real for a minute. Let's just start in your home. Let's start with your families, dads. Instead of coming home and being the general that bosses everyone around and having no compassion and you want things the way you want them done no matter what, maybe you should just get on your knees and take a towel and a, and a basin of water and begin to serve your wife and serve your children and put their needs above yours. Maybe it's not just in your home. Maybe you can expand it to your friends. How can I serve you? How can I help? What can I do to help you? And then after that, you expand it down the street you live in, in your church, and eventually to anybody and everybody who will let us serve them. That's what servant leadership is. John Wesley, who was a great preacher of the Word of God, he has an analysis on being a true servant. I love what he says. Don't miss this. Quote. He, he, okay, end quote. But here's what he says about being a servant leader. Quote, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you can. That's what servant leadership is about. Other people first for as long as we have breath in our lungs. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com.
Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.